0: Welcome to our podcast, Call of Duty, Real Soldiers, Real Stories. In our first episode of Season 3, we have a very special guest, Group Captain Ashok Kumar Chaudhia. In his 35 years in uniform, he has done it all. With over 500 parachute descents, combat skydives from 10 different types of transport aircraft, he was also the founding member of Akash Kanga. He holds a record in Limka Book of Records and has played an important part in Operation Cactus in rescuing President M.A. Gayum of Maldives. Now retired, he writes about his encounters with life on his blog The Road Much Travelled. And his stories are already becoming award-winning short films. In conversation with our co-producer Unam Joshi.
1: Hello and welcome to Call of Duty, Real Soldiers, Real Stories. Today is a very special day because we are recording the first episode of Season 3. When I look back, two years just passed by and we have already finished 24 exclusive interviews, each one very special because the servicemen are always special and they always have stories to tell and as you know, we believe all soldiers live an extraordinary life. So today I take this opportunity to welcome a very special guest from the Indian Air Force. We have with us Group Captain Ashok Kumar Chordia. Welcome, sir.
2: Thank you. Happy to be on your podcast.
1: So I've always believed that childhood has great impressions that are embedded in the mind and every person's future is based on those impressions. So I would like to know something about your childhood. Where did you grow up? How about your siblings, your family? Tell us something
2: about that. I was born in Rujain, Madhya Pradesh, and uh, we had a big family. I had uh, uh, four elder brothers and uh, a sister who gave me all the love and affection. For a long time, I was the youngest in the family and everything was di- directed towards my happiness. So, uh, I studied till class 5th in uh, Ojain and then I joined Senex School Riva and that changed my life altogether, uh, a disciplined life. At home also, father was a disciplinarian. He ensured that everyone got up early, went for a run, did some exercises and studied well. So. That was the uh, the seeds were sown that early. Senex School uh, concretized that uh, effort of my father, and uh, after Senex School, I joined NDA.
1: So I think the love for the armed forces must have been ingrained in you at Senex School, Riva. And uh, no one from your family, I guess, is in the Indian Armed Forces. So what i can make out is that it was just the training the discipline and the way of life that got uh, you know ingrained into you very early in life
2: i'll uh, briefly tell you about uh, the home front again my elder brother uh, joined the army before i joined the air force when i joined scenic school and i was about to go for the nda exam The opinion at home was that I shouldn't join the armed forces. We belong to a Jain Marwadi family. Uh, We have a business family. So uh, there was a reluctance at home. But my elder brother, after completing his engineering from BITS Pilani, he joined IMA as a gentleman cadet. And uh, while on leave, he told my parents and other brothers that uh, if I was interested in joining the armed forces, I shouldn't be held back and uh, I should be encouraged so in the second attempt when i went for the ssb i cleared it and joined the nda
1: oh so i was wrong i thought there was no one uh, probably in the indian armed forces but that's very encouraging and especially your brother who went all, out to tell everybody in the family that he you should be allowed to go so how was the training i'm sure there are certain incidents which were very interesting funny or difficult could you narrate something
2: uh, every day in NDA was very interesting, and then there were some uh, days which were more interesting than the others. Uh, once it so happened that uh, in our uh, fifth term, we were uh, supposed we were called for a fall-in by the academic cadet adjutant. And a few days hence, we were uh, supposed to be appearing for our face tests, a tough uh, period for all of us. We just felt that if we went in for the fallen, we would not be able to prepare for our uh, face tests, and some of us stayed back. And as a result, we were given collective punishment. Uh, for about a month or so, we were put uh, through the toughest of punishments possible. Together, crawling, then rolling in front of the Sudan block, and in the midterm, we were put in the swimming pool, and we were asked to continue swimming for long hours. So that was a period which uh, got us all even more together. And uh, those were the memorable 30-35 days we spent together.
1: So it is this kind of training that makes you uh, the resilient soldiers that you are today. Moving ahead, I would like to ask you about your Air Force uh, experience. I've seen you have been a daredevil. Were you always like this as a child? I mean, you're skydiving, I was seeing about, you've taken more than 500 parachute descents. Tell us about this part of your career.
2: After NDA, I trained for flying and I was lucky that within uh, six months of my commission service, they wanted volunteers for uh, parachute jump instructor duties. I volunteered for it and because of my NDA background and because of the tough training that I had had at NDA, I could go through the uh, jump selection uh, procedure and I was uh, posted as an instructor in Paratroopers Training School, Agra. The training itself was tough and then it was such a fun. All through my seven years at Paratroopers Training School, uh, life revolved around adventure, I must say. We just had to pick up parachutes and jump out of the aircraft. I was lucky to be a part of the Akash Ganga team and uh, it gave me so many opportunities to jump all over the country uh, if you draw a circle of about uh, 150 or 200 kilometers radius there would be one place uh, on the map where i would have jumped
1: that's interesting jumping all around the country but it must be some experience i'm sure uh, you know, coming down in that parachute. What is the feeling when the air goes into your lungs? You can see the earth down below. Just tell us something in your words.
2: The first jump is very important because uh, when you're jumping for the first time from the aircraft, it is uh, the fear of the unknown that is uh, uppermost in your mind, what's going to happen. I very vividly remember my first jump. I was had uh, gone through the entire training I had seen all the demonstrations and uh, when it came to jumping as officers, you're supposed to lead. So I was uh, number one in the stick, as they call it, the number of uh, five or ten people jumping together. So you're the first one to bail out of the aircraft and uh, before the aircraft comes over the drop zone, you're standing at the door for that much more time. Since you're the first, you get the blast of air and you uh, keep waiting and that waiting period is very tough for a beginner, for the first jump. So at that point in time, that thought comes to your mind once uh, once in a while, why did I opt for this? So in my case, I just uh, looked back and I saw there were uh, five Jawans standing behind me and uh, as officers, you are supposed to lead, you are supposed to set an example. What face would I show to these people, I thought, and I just bailed out of the aircraft. So, the first jump is important and after that, you realize that uh, it isn't all that difficult. It is, as I have been telling all my uh, trainees, it is safer than uh, crossing roads on Delhi streets. So, jumping is a safe thing and then uh, it becomes a second nature. It's like cycling or uh, doing anything else.
1: I think first of anything, any adventure matters. It's then that you get the hang of it and uh, you also come to know that whether you're going to enjoy it further or you would leave it at that. I read about Operation Cactus in Maldives and I believe you were one of India, part of the member of that Indian contingent. contingent, uh, That was launched by the Indian then Prime Minister uh, Rajiv Gandhi somewhere in November 1988. So tell us something about it.
2: In November 1988, there was an attempt to overthrow the government of uh, President uh, Mohammed Abdul Gayoom of the Maldives. A Maldivian businessman, uh, Ab- Abdullah Lutufi was his name, he joined hands with uh, some uh, terrorist organization, PLOTE of uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, about 80 of those uh, terrorists, they got on trawlers and moved to the island of uh, Mali to overthrow his government. Around that time, the president was supposed to be visiting India. They thought that the president won't be there and it would be a cakewalk for them. But the president got an inkling and he stayed back. Instead of coming to India, he stayed back there. As a result, they went on a hunt. They wanted to search the president, I mean, find the president and kill him. So the president sent uh, SOS messages to several countries, the US, the UK. Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, and so many other Commonwealth countries. All these countries knew that, all, uh, I mean, including India, knew that uh, reaching President Gayum was a very difficult task because he was hiding on the island of Mali, the capital of uh, Maldives. And the only way to reach the islands was to land an aircraft on the island of Hulule, which was a distance away from uh, Mali. Land on that island and then move by boats to the other island, find him and rescue him. The other option was to carry out a paradrop in case the runway was not available, to carry out a paradrop on the island and then get into boats and uh, reach the other island or carry out a paradrop on the island of Male itself. There were no open areas, uh, big open areas on uh, the island of Male, so it was uh, felt that uh, landing on island of uh, Hulule would be a safer option land and aircraft would be the best option because there was hardly any uh, distance between the runway and the sea if the paratroopers were to jump out bail out on the island of ulule they would land into the sea my job was to prepare the troops and help them out of the aircraft as an instructor that was my job and the other job was to control an aircraft sitting on the ground guide an aircraft to release the paratroopers in a way that they landed on the island in case it was required so when these messages reached india the prime minister was not not in delhi the uh, air chief and the naval chief was uh, were not in delhi and uh, the uh, entire machinery was uh, almost i will say it was uh, in my book i have written about it it was uh, a bugle sounded early morning clarion call at rivali so The Prime Minister cancelled his visit and uh, to Calcutta and other uh, cities he was going to visit and he asked all the top brass of the army and the diplomats to meet uh, in Delhi. In the meeting uh, they decided that uh, we should go ahead and do it because uh, it would prove the prowess of uh, Indian diplomacy and military and at that time we had had some setbacks in uh, Sri Lanka. So this was an opportunity to uh, prove our uh, worth in the region. Once the directions were given and the orders were passed, the Air Force started getting the aircraft ready. The army, their troops were scattered all over. So to getting all the I mean getting all these troops together in uh, such a short time, and then uh, proceeding to Maldives was a tough task. They got the troops together. An intact battalion was not there. They pulled troops from uh, different uh, battalions and formed the battalion and then moved. Uh, the interesting thing was that there were no maps. Maps of the island of Mali, Ulule, etc. were not available. They used the uh, naval charts where the convention is different. Uh, you really can't make out what are the features on the ground. The army and the air force do not follow those maps so easily and uh, luckily for us, There were uh, some uh, tourist maps and some uh, guides which were used by the troops to know the island. And then uh, around that time, Major Harkirat Singh, uh, son son of General Oberoi, he had a coffee table book which his father had presented to him. And that book came in very handy. They took the Xerox copies of the pages and handed over to all the troops. Uh, I was, uh, that particular morning when the message came, I was, I was ready with the Akash Ganga team, I was supposed to lead a team uh, for a skydiving demonstration in the NDA and we were all about to leave and I was told that uh, there was something else to be done. And I was pulled out of that uh, demonstration, I cursed myself that it was a great opportunity to go back to the alma mater and jump there. So, but later I realized that even I had a, had an even better opportunity to participate in an operation we didn't know what was uh, going to happen till the till we boarded the aircraft we were too young that time to be told everything secrecy was maintained all the time and uh, once the aircraft got airborne we came to know what was happening there were code words which were uh, incorporated so that the uh, mission was not compromised just before landing uh, the, the runway lights were kept off for most of the time just before uh, we reached the islands, the lights were switched on and uh, those coded messages were uh, shared and uh, the aircraft landed there. The troops after getting out of the aircraft, they took the speedboats and headed towards the island where the president was hiding. The terrorists, when they saw these IL-76 aircraft landing, such big noise was there and they felt that a big forces landed and they wouldn't be able to face us. So, they took some hostages and they hijacked a merchant vessel, MV Progress Light, and they wanted to run away. They left some of their uh, friends behind, got into the ship, and they were uh, sailing away from the islands when Brigadier Bulsara and his team fired and damaged the ship which was carrying the hostages. Once uh, that ship was damaged, it was easy to follow and uh, chase it. Indian ship res- returning from Australia. INS Godavari was directed to apprehend that ship. INS Beto was sent from Cochin, that also headed in that direction. And finally, the ship was apprehended and the hostages were uh, rescued. That side, uh, the Army troops, Brigadier Bulsara's team, they landed on the island and found the president. They formed a human shield around him and got him to the National Security Service headquarters. Last minute, uh, when the aircraft was about to land, I was told that we have got the permission to land and it may be possible that uh, the runway might not be safe in future and we want someone to control a paratroop sitting on the ground in case it is required. So I got down with the troops and I waited for my turn to guide the aircraft for a paratroop, which never took place later.
1: My God, I mean I have goosebumps and I'm sure while you were part of it, what all must have crossed your mind? and uh, especially like you said you were hurled into a plane and sent towards uh, Maldives little knowing exactly what has to be done and everything was discussed there so secrecy and uh, mission and all these things which we watch in those detective series you have lived that life and uh, i've heard several times you have mentioned Akash Ganga now what exactly is Akash Ganga could you tell our listeners until
2: 1987 the Indian Air Force was carrying out skydiving demonstrations all over the country without a name. Wherever uh, there were some military uh, celebrations and otherwise national sports events, etc., the Air Force skydiving team uh, comprising of the parachute jump instructors of Paratroopers Training School, Agra, they were uh, undertaking these jumps without a name. In 1987, uh, the team was uh, given a name. Akash Ganga and thereafter we started jumping as Akash Ganga team. Over a period of time, the team has uh, developed the skill of forming forming, uh, different patterns in the air before opening the parachutes and after uh, deploying the parachutes, uh, which are spectacular.
1: I think this happens uh, during the Republic Day parades, I think I have witnessed it somewhere. Thank you for apprising us of that now uh, you have served for almost 35 years i think over 35 years in the indian air force and now you are retired or should i say re reattired as you say a lot of transformation takes place from a life in the air force and then a life after that after you are re reattired and i see you've picked up a lot of things you ride you travel you cycle towing of cars so many different things I have read in your uh, biodata. So I would like to first ask you, how did writing happen? In
2: 1996, I was posted in Air Headquarters, and that was the time they were coming out with the uh, Air Force Journal. Uh, they wanted articles for it, and I had been until then I had been narrating uh, this incident about Operation Cactus, my involvement in Operation Cactus and people found it very interesting and some people said, why don't you write about it? So I wrote an article that time and uh, it was well taken by people. That was uh, the end of my creative writing and then uh, for about uh, another uh, 20 years, I didn't do anything. I didn't write anything. Suddenly towards the end of my retirement, I got an opportunity to work in the Centre for Air Power Studies. CAPS where I got an opportunity to uh, undertake a research on Operation Cactus. So there I spent my time interviewing uh, all the protagonists, people who were involved in this operation and then going through all the written records etc. And uh, I worked on this and published a book on Operation Cactus. Discovery Channel made a documentary based on the book and now Bollywood is trying to make a feature film you're talk, uh, talking about the writing part of it. When I wrote the first draft, uh, the first chapter or something and took it to uh, my boss, he jokingly said that uh, you like uh, you write like Salman Rushdie. I took it as a joke only and then uh, after completing my tenure there, that thought came to my mind that if uh, I start writing my experiences of the armed process, probably they will make uh, interesting reading. So, I started writing short stories, facts mixed with fiction. And as luck would have it, my first short story, which I wrote, The Shoeshine Boy, which was my experience on, the, uh, on a railway platform, uh, that was liked by a filmmaker and he made a short film based on it. That uh, film won two international awards. And another story was made into a film. That too won two international awards and the third one is in the pipeline now.
1: I've read quite a few of your blogs, and uh, I really like the name road much travelled, picking pebbles along the road. I think it's not pebbles it is pearls, they are jewels, they are gems because every story has so much to offer and you are a wordsmith I must tell you because uh, the The title of your story suggests something and in the end it is something else that you're conveying. There's another story which I want to talk about right now. It's jumping definitely not to conclusions. Tell us about that and about that
2: little boy. This article I wrote, it's a combination of uh, two incidents, uh, two separate incidents. It generally happens that whenever you go for a skydiving demonstration, I mean you are doing it as a profession or as a hobby or whatever you call it you enjoy doing it and you're doing it but for the people who are watching it from the ground it is something uh, rare Uh, jumping out of of an aircraft perfectly well flying aircraft uh, very few mad people would do that's what is the opinion so when you land on the ground People rush to you, and they want to feel the parachute. They want to feel you. I mean, are you human beings or uh, you are uh, superhuman beings? So that was one incident when uh, somebody, some lady, came with the uh, children, and she wanted uh, the small, uh, smaller of her two children to feel me, to touch and uh, experience that I was a human being. So uh, that stayed with me, and then. Uh, this was in uh, the Nehru Stadium in Delhi. The athletes were going for uh, some international uh, competitions. And uh, in th- uh, at that instant, that little boy asked me, Uncle, what if your parachute had not opened? I couldn't answer that. Uh, I mean, I didn't know how to answer that little child. So I said that uh, we carry uh, an emergency parachute, a reserve parachute always. And in case the main one doesn't open, Uh, we deployed the reserve parachute and land and uh, his question was what if the reserve also doesn't open it stayed at time and uh, i kept on thinking about it for some time and i forgot about it Uh, there was another demonstration in ambala and uh, we jumped out of the aircraft i being the lightest i was the last one to bail out and uh, at the given height i threw my pilot chute my parachute did open but it was jumbled up on one side and uh, it started rotating very fast I felt like uh, a stone at the end of a sling and uh, it was really dizzy feeling I kept on rotating I tried to stop the turns somehow they didn't stop and then uh, I had to discard that parachute ultimately and uh, come down on my reserve parachute so what I told that little boy a month ago came through with me I landed with that emergency parachute and people on the ground they didn't know that uh, something like this had happened my parachute which was uh, jettisoned by me it came down like a piece of cloth and everyone on the ground thought that someone someone's parachute has not opened and he is dead now he's fallen somewhere a few kilometers away and he's dead so there was uh, Normally, there is a lot of uh, Halla-gulla on the ground when a parachute jump takes place. That time, everyone was quiet, they thought that someone has fallen dead and when I landed there and people came to know that nothing has gone wrong.
1: So that little boy actually put a question in your head, probably forewarning you, you never know what was the reason for that question. But definitely, uh, that day people must have experienced not only the thrill, but also the dangers involved. Moving ahead, I want to ask you about your hobbies because I've seen you've got quite a few. Writing being one of them, then calligraphy and origami and sculpture to add to the list and handwriting analysts. So you analyze handwriting. So I'm sending a sample of mine very soon to you. (laughs) And you're a keen golfer. You cycle. So much to do. What kind of a sculpture do you make?
2: In a school, in Senek school, we had an art teacher. He had taken us to Jabalpur where you get soapstone, marble, and soapstone. And he had picked up some stones from there. And when we got back to school, he carved some statues out of uh, small pieces of uh, stone that he had got. And when we saw him picking up those uh, pieces of uh, soapstone and marble, we also picked up, uh, trying to follow in his footsteps when uh, he made something I also tried to carve out something using uh, needles and pins and uh, I didn't have any uh, tools to do that but then I made a mockery of it but then did something and uh, that thing stayed with, my, with me all through my life after having done it on soapstone I didn't have any, any more. I started carving using small uh, paper pins I started carving on chalk sticks and uh, I could make some figures, I mean uh, on a chalk stick what can you make? I made that uh, Filmfare award statue, I did it on soap also, soap is very easy to carve and then uh, during Covid we used to have kada made of good and we used to have big chunks and to take small pieces out of it I carved a head out of it and then uh, the remaining portion was uh, eaten up and the ultimately I had a statue out of good also. Uh, taking plaster of Paris and solidifying it and then carving out of it as marble, that also I have that. Another interesting thing happened when I was in uh, Teespur, there is one uh, Sapanda we, call, we used to call him. There was a person uh, who used to be carving uh, wooden uh, rhinoceros and that was the only thing he used to carve and he had a small school where he used to teach children and they also used to carve only a rhinoceros and uh, it was a pleasure seeing him uh, sitting on the floor and carving uh, rhinos out of small chunks of wood so one day I went to see him and uh, I sat down next to him and I said "Uh, give me a piece of wood I will also try something so he laughed at me and he gave me a small piece I was carrying my Swiss knife so I started carving and I felt that uh, it was not very difficult to carve in those pieces of wood. So I carved a statue of Ganesha and uh, gave it to him and he was mighty happy about it. And he gave me more wood to carve which I have never done him and after that I didn't do anything. But then yes, uh, I have been doing once in a while, something or the other on any material that uh, can be carved, I do that. I have my, Now I have my own tools.
1: So you have a natural flair towards carving, you know. So this goes to prove that having hobbies is a very interesting thing and it's a very necessary thing for every human being. One question again that I'm very interested in, I ask everybody, is to give a message to our listeners.
2: That's a difficult question. What message can I give to your uh, listeners? I can only pass on a message which I got from one of my youngsters, one of my juniors. He said that uh, ask yourself a question uh, what have you done in uh, the recent times or say last week or last few days which you have never done before and if the answer is yes and if you are able to say that you have done something uh, you'll be kicking life you would be doing well in life
1: do something that you have never done before i think that's a beautiful message for all of us and with this I would like to thank you so much, Group Captain Ashok, for being here on our podcast, listening to your stories and your experiences in the Indian Air Force have enriched us.
2: Thank you, ma'am. It was a pleasure being on your podcast.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back again with our next episode on the 15th of September. Do like, subscribe our podcast and share it with others. And if you have any queries, write to us at podcastcallofduty at the rate gmail.com.